everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour, a news-filled episode of The Witching Hour with myself. I'm Perry, and that's Haley. And Haley's got a cool hat on today. Yeah, that's a message to anyone in charge who watches this. Make Spy 2 or else, but imagine I didn't do that in reverse. <laughs> what? It, wait, what is that from? Should I know? Oh, it's just, uh, it, it's a really great, like, nerdy movie fan t-shirt and such company called Super Yaki. Oh. And so they make little things with niche interests, like Spy. <laughs> okay. Wait, what is it called? Super Yaki. They're oh, great. Now. I gotta look at stuff. I have oh, no. many of their items. I just got oh, one. No. That, like <laughs> Josie and the Pass is the best movie ever. Join the army. <laughs> There's a lot of cool stuff. It's a problem. I'm sorry to introduce you to it, but also everyone goes check out Super Yaki. They're a great business. And there, there is a Birds of Prey for your consideration shirt. <laughs> I have, they just, if I remember correctly, because I'm very in touch with this, they just re-released that in new styles, and I've been waiting forever for that shirt to come back. I, like, I'm so tempted to buy this shirt live on the show, but I'm going to at least contain myself for now and just minimize that for later. Don't wait too long if you really want it. They do sell out. That's the other thing. And it's like, you think I would have been trained well enough at this point from Mondo and trying to buy those posters, but not quite gotta... yet. Okay. Okay. But still, I'm going to get, I'm going to get on top of it. I don't want to miss out on a good thing. Yeah. I also just got a shirt that's, I'm a fan of Kathy Ann, which is what they had when they didn't have Birds of Prey for your consideration. They had those on the front page right now. It was all the Birds of Prey and Kathy Ann stuff. And I'm like, yes. Oh, yeah, because uh, finally, Dead Pigs just became available. I don't know how to pronounce it. Mubi, 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 it's M-U-B-I is now hosting um, it. Is that different from Tubi? <laughs> I think so. I don't know. I'm not super familiar, but I am going to check it out just to watch Dead Pigs because I've been waiting forever to see that dang movie. Huh. I've never seen it either. Shit. Now I've got something to do. Oh, it's on a... I mean, according to a quick Google search, it's on uh, Prime. Oh, maybe it's included with the other one I can't pronounce. It's possible. Yeah. I... I have a lot of watching to do. Oh boy, always. (laughs) A little too much. All right. As I teased, we have a lot of news stories that we can cover today. Mm -hmm. We're just going to, we're going to throw these back and forth. We're each going to pick one at a time until we get through them all. Or most of them, at least. The priority ones. Popcorn it. Do you want to do the honors? Oh, um, yeah. I'm going to start with the one I thought was most fun. Uh, the Maw sequel proposal from the director. Okay. <laughs> I think everyone on here knows that we love and respect Ma in this household. Um, and Tate Taylor spoke with EW and said, I don't think we thought Ma was going to have this afterlife as this cult thing. And I think it's worth discussing a sequel. I know Octavia would do it. That's why I purposely left her death ambiguous. My idea is that she moves to another, she moved to another town and she has opened 
I can't read. She, she's moved to another town and she has open houses in another city and kills people in the open house. I think she'd be a real estate in the Pacific Northwest and just murder white people looking at McMansions. That's as far as I've gotten. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, of course. I that. He I probably mean, could have said anything and I'd be like, yes, do it. It almost sounds like what we often talk about, or at least what I often talk about, where I want, um, I want, I want the uh, the horror movies that I know and love to continue in. Uh, now I, I like the word is escaping me. Sort of an anthological approach. Thank you, thank you. Like an anthology, an anthology where now it's just like ma moving from city to city and just having a different operation in order to bring people into a home and kill them yeah and i think that's such a clever way to repurpose that come into my house and i will murder you set up i wonder what other ones there are so it's like come into my house for a big party for underage drinking yeah. come, come into my house because i'm a real estate agent and i'm showing you around what, what's like another way to get near or complete strangers into like what's the third movie Ooh, that's i can't even think because all week i've had everybody's coming to my house stuck in my head so now that's all i can hear and i'm never gonna be alone and I'm there's, never gonna there's there's obvious things that we're not thinking of right now but i feel like it this idea could sustain a full franchise i think the strangers is the hard part like not the film the strangers but the stranger element of it because it's like yeah. you can get people to your house for a lot of reasons but how do you get strangers to your house or even just like ma ma just calls folks up to do work on her house like, if you're a painter or a plumber, beware, Ma could call you. Maybe, but I think that maybe isn't in line with the class elements they're talking about. That's because true. Those people tend to not be super wealthy and entitled. I'm, I'm only going to think about this. I, I really want to help Tate Taylor build a Ma universe. And I, I, have one. Need my help. I have one. And... I've been to so many of these and I've always thought like, why would you do this? But just random people who set up haunted houses in their home at Halloween and invite people. It makes me think of a very special night in Burbank. That's exactly what made me think of it. <laughs> I'm surprised that's not the first thing that came to my yeah. mind. But we sure, and I have multiple times, you sure do go to a stranger's home and just through. Have you watched Barb and Star yet? No, I'm dying to. It's it's very, very silly. And I'm surprised I liked it as much as I did because usually that like stupid silly humor is not my thing. But this isn't a spoiler. It's at the very, very beginning of the movie. And it's one of the parts that I found to be the funniest. Barb and Star belong to a talking club. Okay. Where they just, it, it's basically just a like a circle of women and they get a topic to talk about every time. But I feel like what if Ma weasels her way into a talking club and then surprise she doesn't want to talk she just wants to kill you all right or uh we make book club but instead of like older women finding love through their book club they find murder <laughs> clearly ma has all of the franchise potential in the world i think so and it's just we've said this every time we talk about ma but why not let Octavia Spencer do that? She's I, so good in that. 
I was looking at when the story was first published, the particular still from the film they used had such a powerful expression on her face that I legit mm -hmm. like stuck staring at it for a full minute. Just she's incredible that you could make me that wrapped up in a still movie or a still frame from a movie I've already seen. I don't blame you. I feel like it's not even just Ma. That's something that uh, serves Octavia Spencer well in a variety of different genres and scenarios. There's something about her that's just so naturally captivating and highly expressive. Yes. I feel well, like I could, I could freeze frame, I could grab a still from any of her movies and probably have a somewhat similar feeling. She's phenomenal and she needs more lead roles and damn it, if the way we do that is through a campy horror franchise, that's honestly like maybe my best case scenario. I know. I, I feel like I would root for that in a heartbeat. <laughs> All right, my turn? Your turn. I mean, my organized brain is going to be boring and just go for the literal next thing on our list. And I'll go with this this freaky sequel one and of course i just clicked the ma link and reopened that instead all right so i am looking at arrow in the head at the moment apparently there was an exclusive with coming soon.net for the freaky blu-ray release and christopher landon said oh it's most likely not getting a sequel yeah. in, in terms of a of a sequel to freaky you know i don't think it's ever going to happen because i honestly don't know if the studio has an appetite for a sequel i think they're quite comfortable with it being a standalone movie and to be honest i am too because we didn't really have an idea for a sequel it wasn't like oh this has to be a continuation of this story whereas with ha the happy death day movies they kind of had a whole life after that but you never know i understand this and after reading that quote, it's, you know, even though I wouldn't mind seeing another freaky, it's like, eh, I get it. And if it's not super pressing, I'd rather you not push for a sequel. But the only sequel scenario that would bum me out if they didn't try to go for it was the freaky Happy Death Day crossover. I do yeah. think there's, there's a lot to mine in that idea. And it would be, you know, if that was ever an option, it would be unfortunate if they just didn't go for it. So I actually have a quote uh, also from that coming soon interview. Uh, so I clicked on an article. It says director still really wants to make Happy Death Day 3 because hell yeah. But mm -hmm. here's what he said. Well, it's looking like the funny crossover thing is certainly a fun idea. And I think that people are very into this sort of shared universe concept. But I really, first and foremost, had wanted to continue to want to make a third movie in the Happy Death Day franchise because just because I wrote an idea, he continues, I didn't write the whole script. I'm not that crazy, but I outlined a third movie because I really knew what I wanted it to be. And it was sort of the conclusion to it. It was a trilogy for me. So it's a bummer that I haven't had the opportunity to make that movie yet. I know Jessica Roth really wants to do it. I'm, I'm torn about how I feel about that. Because it sounds like he's into it, but it doesn't sound like it's actually going to happen. I think that's been the vibe because the second one super underperformed. Yeah, what a bummer that was. I don't, I don't fully understand what happened because I, re I really did think that the uh, the shift to Valentine's Day was going to serve it well. I can't remember what the direct competition was at the time, but I don't know. It kind, it kind of feels like. 
And again, I have to look back at box office stats to know this, but was there one horror movie one year that performed real well during Valentine's Day weekend? And then all of a sudden, Happy Death Day took the spot the year after and Fantasy Island took the spot the year after that and both tanked. I think you are right. I just can't remember what. Um, Um, Maybe when did Get Out was an early February release. Right. And wasn't us February? No, wasn't March. March. Um, well, not necessarily March. I saw it in March because of South by Southwest. Ah, no, it was a big summary thing, I think. It was like a blockbuster style framing. See, I'd be able to look up this uh, this information so quickly like I used to, except I'm still bitter about box office mojo changing, even though I don't even use it anymore because there's no box office stats. It's awful. It. <laughs> I think, did I mention, I heard somewhere like, that Amazon really bought IMDb for a piece of code, not really for the purposes of IMDb. And that makes me so nervous because it's such a resource that we kind of take for granted like we did with Box Office Mojo. I'm not going to get into how angry that possibility makes me right now. I mean, I, I get it from a money perspective, but from like a human perspective, that sucks. And hopefully, you know, hopefully there's enough value in the actual function of that site. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still sore about it. I'll never get over it. Being the person who's obsessed with SEO and rankings, IMDb ranks for every possible title, so they have to be making good money off of the clicks through that. I guess. I mean, I feel like I'm so extreme about the box office mojo change. It's because it wasn't just it. It wasn't just a work tool for me. Like this is going to sound really lame, but I used to sit on box office mojo for fun and look up trends and similar movies and just, you know, almost play like a, a, a bit of a linking game until I circled back to some, I, I just genuinely enjoyed spending time on that site and just browsing. I agree. And I, I do, it makes me cranky, but uh, that I do think you're right. I do think there was a successful, cause I almost feel like we discussed it on this channel when, when Happy Death Day 2 did not perform. But I can't even remember yesterday, so I will never remember that. I'm going to figure it out at some point. I do just want to let everyone know, I appear to be having some kind of reaction, but I'm fine. I was going to say something, but... (laughs) No, it's definitely... I am having a reaction to something. If if I'm not fine, I will let you know, but for now, it's just ugly. I, I hope everything, I hope everything is okay. It doesn't look, I mean, it doesn't look like that bad or that serious. I just happened to notice that there was a little red there. It doesn't help that I have like a ghostly pale face from being indoors for a literal year. So any activity here is like massive contrast. Literally the only reason I don't appear to be ghostly white because I have not been outside in a year now is because I'm in a room with hot pink walls and they're just reflecting <laughs> on my face the whole time, which is the only reason why it looks like I have any color. Yeah, the lavender probably doesn't help with the washing out. <laughs> I think about uh, painting my walls sometimes. And I'm like, no, nope, I'll just I'll just keep so this room All quarantine because I didn't choose this wall color and I don't love it it's just like i i like purple it's just not the color i would choose to set my existence in uh but then the actual it it, what always gets me is taping off the the boundaries that takes so freaking long to get right my dad was a professional painter and i'm just no no without going down 
an endless rabbit hole right now. I'm assuming you've seen the videos on TikTok where people like tape up their wall in all these crazy ways and then paint it and have a really cool pattern. My one of my dearest friends just did that to their living room and kitchen and it looks fucking phenomenal. I want to do that. I can't believe they did it on their own. The lines are perfect. I'm the kind of person who would want to do it and would think it looks like a lot of fun. And then I would get like a quarter of the way through and then think to myself, I'm so over this and not want to do it anymore. I I feel that I would probably have that same problem. I did paint like my walls when I was younger all the time just for fun. But, you know, you have all that energy when you're young. Mom and I you don't have a full-time job. She'd be so mad if I painted the walls. Uh, and plus, it gives you this healthy glow. <laughs> I guess so. I'll take what I can get. All right. You're up. I'm up. Story. All right. I'm going. I'm going with my heart. I'm going with a lot of ripped out hearts. I'm going True Blood, the latest piece yeah. of the on. I should have predicted what you were going to go for every time. <laughs> we're probably pretty good. Uh, so earlier this week, HBO and HBO Max had their big television critics association press tour panel and the major outlets got some side time with HBO content chief Casey Bloys. And he had lots of, lots of good information out there. If you're like into HBO content, we wrote a bunch up on the site about Peacemaker and Game of Thrones and stuff like that. But to my interest, Maybe to my disappointment was this little nugget in his interview with Deadline told them that the Ruby reboot the reboot is in very early stages and there are no current plans for the original cast members to return. He continued, it is something I'm mindful of. Rebooting material is something we are experiencing across the industry. There's power in that. You are dealing with nostalgia and people's emotions people's emotional connection with a show. But like with anything, I don't want to do too many. I think there are a lot of original stories to tell and we don't want to lose that. So it's always a balancing act. That's more to the point of reboots. But I have thoughts on like rebooting True Blood and not bringing the cast back. And I always would have had thoughts, but I am just about done with actually rewatching the show. And... I would say not a little, like a huge fuck ton of that show's magic comes from the cast. Mm-hmm. That stands out in a rewatch so strongly. I would agree with that. I I feel like the reason why I'm not surprised and I'm not bummed to hear this is because the second you use the word reboot, I do just automatically assume it's a clean slate. But I will say that, I mean recently more so than ever just because it's got a wider audience now but ever since cobra kai first debuted that's Mm. that's the blueprint for me if you want to tap into nostalgia and actually do something with it and not just milk it for all it's worth look at what that show's doing they've literally taken a classic from the 80s and turned it into something that's for every generation with characters that have purposeful arcs and with arcs that then change the way that you view or enhance the way you view rather the original movies. So I I wish more of these reboot projects would take a cue from that because I think that that's the richer way to go back to uh, back to the well. That said, I under understand because 
Suki, whether you like it or not, got her happy ending. Um, Bill's dead, although he's done that before and it didn't take. Uh, basically, everyone kind of ended up where they needed to be for a happy ending. And for Bill, that was being a total asshole and dying. Classic. But I just also, you know, having lost Nelson Ellis, who is such an essential component, uh, that would be tough to go on without. I get it is what I'm saying. I do. I am so much more fascinated upon this rewatch with the world they created in terms of how, especially after season four, five through seven, not the best seasons, but still, uh, they expanded the mythology and the, the infrastructure of the world they built so enormously. And I found that really involving this time, even if it wasn't, you know, top notch in the way I liked the earlier seasons. Uh, things like the way that humanity evolved along after the vampires were around for a while, learned all their secrets, devised weapons that actually made them almost as strong as the vampires. It's a whole different type of show, but there was just so much work put into that world building that I'm sad to let it go. And you know, I'm usually not the one who's on this side. I'm like, do something new, fuck it, do whatever. But I just, I. I, I'm emotionally invested right now because I've just rewatched like 80 hours of this thing. I, I haven't I haven't rewatched any of True Blood. I watched it all but stopped when the show actually was over, when the, the series finale happened. Here here's a question though. Is there can they do it where there's another corner of the reality that True Blood exists in that's nowhere near these characters that could kind of not even necessarily be taking place simultaneously, but at least existing in the same world. So you could still use all of that, but without needing the original ensemble. I mean, for sure. Take it out of Bontom, right? Like that's such a small town, but that's also part of the DNA of what people love about that show. Uh, man, what a fun rewatch. Highly recommend. I, I can't, I, I know a lot of people remember that show as being bad. I don't, think so it fell off a cliff a little bit but even the lesser seasons i have enjoyed every damn second of it i i definitely i enjoyed it and, and was entertained enough all the way through but i mean the first few seasons were just so good and then it went so far off the rails it does it definitely wow like i said off a cliff but off a cliff into interesting territory at least and I really can't, like, I have been thinking about this. I do not believe there ever has been before or since a hornier show. It <laughs> is unbelievably horny. Yes, it is. Great to horny jail. <laughs> I even, so I've been like on the Reddit, which is still pretty active, surprisingly. I think a lot of people are rewatching because HBO Max finally went to, you know, uh, Roku and all the, the devices Thanks, that had been holding out on. People <laughs> seem a little prudish about it now, which I find funny more than a decade after it premiered, like it's still pushing people's boundaries with the sexuality. Huh. I don't know. I feel like I have limited rules in that department, so no nothing ever felt like too extreme for me, but I was aware of how extreme the show was. It's not even... I. I mean... It is a little extreme, but I was a teeny tiny child watching Oz. I feel like when you start with that show so young, very little can surprise you after. Yeah. 
I don't, I think there's always going to be a segment of the population who is uncomfortable with explicit sex scenes and that's probably eternal and I'm reading too much into it. But there is a part of me that saw all those comments and was like, wow, has the pun pendulum swung backwards in a certain way? Um, I enjoy the horniness. I think it's essential to the core of the show. It is all about the stuff we try to tuck away that comes to the surface. Aren't most vampire shows and movies horny? After a certain point, yes. For a long <laughs> time, vampires were kind of disgusting, like uh, Dracula. But even that obviously has sexual themes to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. I mean, oh, what a complex question. I, like, I dare you. Can you think of one, like, completely non-horny vampire project? Just, like, one, even. I wouldn't... I Yes, the transfiguration is pretty unhorny. Okay. It is devastating, and it's more about, you know, like, societal issues and uh, class difference. But that is an unusual one in terms of vampire movie. Okay. Because it's not even, you know, it's not the traditional vampire that we think of. Yeah, no, that's, that is very true. All right, you win the game. <laughs> Yay, I love to win. <laughs> Never happens. Do we want to move on to another one? I'm trying to think if I have any more emotion. Yeah. Em <laughs> uh, that's when you have so much to say. You have emotions. <laughs> It's just, I've been, oh, okay. So I will say this. This I feel really passionate about, actually. And I did want to say this on some platform. Uh, and of course, my brain's doing the dumb thing where I had his name and it just flew the hell out of my skull. The hints. Uh, it's a hot Australian guy who plays Jason from oh, um, Ryan Quantin. Thank you. Um, I did that. He is so good. He is a like proto Hemsworth almost like he's doing all the same stuff that people love about Chris Hemsworth and be super buff and hot and kind of dumb blondish and like uh, endearing. I, I, the way he makes me laugh out loud is at an unusual rate. I'm not a laugh out loud aloner. Like I do that in crowded theaters more often, but I have cackled through all of True Blood because mm -hmm. of his performance. He was very good. What happened to him? He's not doing enough. I feel like I've, I've brought this up before and I have all, oh, I did bring it up when we were talking about Dead Silence. I was like, oh, yeah, your career. We definitely had this conversation. Yeah, but it's it, now revisiting his work. It's like extra offensive that you kind of ended up not going anywhere for, for now. There's always time for it. You never, you really never know. I'm just looking up his, uh, his IMDB. I think one of the biggest, most recent things that I've seen um, is that sacred lies. And I think oh, my yeah. mom is the only person I know who watched that show. I didn't see it. I think so, my mom's real into it. You can count one of the people, you know, how. <laughs> uh, he's so good. And I, I, that show, this is something I'm curious to see how they balance, like, that show between the horniness and the comedy and the constant tragedy had such a weird vibe and tone that's so difficult to fit, and I can't see them completely, like, re-accessing it. It feels very much Alan Ball originated mm -hmm. it in his vision. 
I am so wowed by the performers who are able to exist in that tone and still make you buy it. Sometimes as much as I love her, I do think that Anna Paquin struggled a little bit to like draw you in the way Jason does and make you totally believe it no matter how much she's doing the big dumb puppy eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people really, really got it. Him and Nelson Ellis really stand out as people who ra- rode that wave. You make also, me Jesus. I'm Jesus deserved better. All right. I'm on a tangent. You make me tempted to to rewatch it. It's but fun. I need, didn't expect to go this fast at all. Need time. Need more hours in the day. You just have to make the time because Can I tell can I tell you something that I did make time for? Yeah. Willie's Wonderland. How was that? I'm disappointed. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, on the one hand, what what do you expect? Like you watch a movie like that for its most basic selling point. It's Nicolas Cage killing murderous animatronics from a family restaurant. And the movie does give you that, but I just I can't excuse anything for doing the bare minimum with a concept like that. That's that's what really disappointed me. Like it literally does nothing to surprise you whatsoever. And even those kill sequences, as much fun as it can be to watch Nick Cage do stuff like that, they were so poorly shot. I couldn't track the action at all. There was no real style to the the kill sequences either. You know, it's it's a cool looking movie, I think, because of the the nature of what a Willy's Wonderland type place is and, you know, what the animatronics look. Actually, I take it back. The animatronics were like a weird crossover. And I think this might have been a budgetary issue of looking like animatronics and someone dressed up in like a like a suit. You know what I mean? Hmm. And it just it just didn't work. It, it was watchable, but it wasn't nearly as much fun as I thought I was going to have. This is so kind of a recurring theme with a lot of Nick Cage movies that people hype up because of their concepts. I mm-hmm. feel like they sound really cool and then they're just, not, they don't live up to that promise. Yeah. But um, what's the one that just debuted at Sundance? Because I did hear good things about that. I didn't like it. Oh, no. Here's the ghost land. Yes. Um, I, I, I think I'm in the minority on that. It seems, um, I mean, admittedly, that's not the type of thing that I'm drawn to in general, but I was looking forward to it and the whole, a lot of it just didn't make sense to me. The story. I mean, it's, it's definitely one of those types of movies that I think, um, I think makes the the visuals and the kills and stuff like that the priority rather than coming up with a with a logical story and and you know meaningful character development but it was it was so all over the place and again there there's things out there that I simply have fun watching but none of it's ever going to mean anything to me if the the char- like the foundation the character development isn't there and there, there were there were things in that movie also that just flat out didn't make sense. Like I didn't, it, it made no sense to me that a character would choose to do this or go from this place to this place. But it is a stunning looking film. I mean, 
the way a lot of it's shot, the production design, the costume design. It it's a nice movie to look at for I think it was two hours. Okay. Interesting. Good good to hear a counterbalance. You never want to get too hyped for something. Um but I I do always approach a new Nick Cage movie with a bit of skepticism, no matter how cool it sounds, which sometimes you get Mandy, which is, you know, fantastic. Sometimes yeah. you get Mom and Dad, which you were going to say that. I totally adore that movie for I, what it is. I liked it too. I liked it quite yeah. a bit. <laughs> I didn't expect to like it, I think, was part of the advantage there. And I saw it at Fantastic Fest in a packed house, and it, mm. it brought it down. That It went over like gangbusters, man. That movie works. Admittedly, I had been thinking about that after watching Prisoners of the Ghost Land. I, I'm wondering if I might have been a little more caught up if I had seen it with a packed house that, that was having a real-time reaction, but... I don't know. I do like I genuinely do find that I'm good at drawing the line between, you know, like a reaction in its purest form and knowing whether or not I'm getting caught up in the crowd atmosphere. So I feel I feel like I might have been in the same position no matter what. Totally possible. I will say one thing that I just realized during this conversation. Nicolas Cage would have owned the true blood vibe. He would have fit perfectly in that type of performance I'm talking about. I don't think any casting for that new show is going to work well for me now. <laughs> True Blood or, or uh, Nick Cage or Bust True Blood reboot. Yeah, I do quite like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I kind of uh, went off off track. So do you want to do I think you left a perfect transition, my darling. That's so true. Uh, because one of the more unexpected interesting and buzzy stories this week is that adam freaking wingard is working on a face-off sequel originally reported as a reboot he said on instagram i believe he would never dare uh, <laughs> mess with the the world building of such a perfect action film and so it is in fact a sequel which is fascinating yeah, this is not what I expected to hear. But going back to my Cobra Kai comment, I feel like this could be that. Mm. There, could, there could be something in this this new movie that makes us go back and rewatch the the original one with a, I don't know, something new on our minds. Yeah, and I, I, I okay, so I totally respect Wingard's position on like why would you ever mess with that world? Because hell yeah. But it, I just thought the conversations about who should be the new face-off were so much fun. Like, who should trade faces this time? Did you see any that you really liked? The only one that's coming to my mind right now is the uh, the Murphyverse option, where there's like a million actors that look exactly the same. Perfect. I love that. I didn't see that one. Uh, I think Donato um, has one of the best. What is it? Uh Samara Weaving and Vanessa Kirby. Yeah, it's really good. This is the problem with fan casting because then you get something like that in your head and you can't you can't shake it. I know. Shit, really I can't nice. imagine anything better than that. Huh. And he said that forever ago and re reboosted it this week. And it, it was kind of like, oh right, the best idea has already happened. I can't beat that. I'm I'm determined to beat it. I'm trying to come up with something that could beat it, but I'm I'm very much failing. 
Was there was there ever anyone else that people used to say that Samara Weaving looked like? Wasn't there someone else? Was it Margot oh, Robbie? Yeah. It's Margot Robbie. I'd watch that too. I'd watch that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also, like, they don't look alike. That's no, no. They swap swap faces, you know. Yeah. So they I just kind of have to have a similar body frame, but you can fuck around with that in movies. It's easier to do that kind of stuff if they look somewhat similar. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but the you know the Murphy verse one that everyone talks about even when we're not talking about face uh face off it's like uh Finn Whitrock is in there now now all the names are escaping me because it's Friday. Max Greenfield maybe <laughs> he's one he's one of them. Who's the like one of the older dudes he was in a hotel Cheyenne Jackson. Jackson, yes. Um Oh gosh, there are so many. Max Green. There's like another big, big one we're missing. Like someone who's literally in everything. Matt Bomer? Is he in the movie? Oh, Matt Bomer's in it. Yeah. He's one of them, but we're still missing the fifth. Dang it. Who is the fifth? Watch us try to remember things. <laughs> really? That's what this should we title the episode that? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a fun game. I hope people can at least play along while we're trying. Yeah, they probably have it an instant. Um, there are some, but oh, and isn't there a, a a newer actor who came along in maybe Apocalypse? He played the devil. Oh, that's him. Um, uh shit. Dang I know. It. I know his name too. If you look it up and just give me like give me his initials and I can get it. I don't even know how to look. I'm gonna try, but if you look up American Horror Story, the cast list is four thousand people long. I'm going through the alphabet. I was definitely just like <laughs> mouthing alphabet letters. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh golly, this is just. Oh, Wes Bentley, I guess would also. Oh no, he was in. He was in one of the pictures that I saw too. Cody Fern. That's his name. Woo. Now we can move on. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but, oh, he's actually Quinto. Oh, shit. He's another one, too. Yes, these these tall, cheekbone, yeah. brunette, black-haired, gorgeous men. All talented actors, too. Fantastic. Um, but for Face Off, specifically, I'm tempted to trust... Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett feels like they they really could do something fun and creative with this. And I know uh, we've talked. Sorry, I have Dewey hair on my face again. Um, I know we've talked about this in in a, a past. I feel like fairly recent episode, but I know that their Blair Witch movie wasn't received especially well. But I, I really do think that a lot of that came from the botched uh, reveal for what yes. it was. I agree. I, I really, I, I do genuinely like the movie and I stand behind it despite the fact that most people don't dig it. But I think that no matter what, if you look through their filmography, there's a certain level of quality there that ensures that whatever they do is going to be at a certain level, if not above. And I would like to think that they have, you know, respect for the legacy of this this movie and they're going to they're gonna make the most of the opportunity. I also think that the things of theirs I like most 
one to have a, a strong action through thine in them, the guest and, mm -hmm. um, oh no, watch us try to remember things. Uh, the, the breakout film with the map. You're next. You're next. Thank you. Yes. Uh, those are, those are the films that work best for me. And I, mm -hmm. there's, I love them for this, even having not loved everything they've made. I immediately, when I saw the news, I was like, yes, perfect. Yeah. Film. Now that you brought up the guest, it makes me kind of want to see Dan Stevens in this movie. Maybe because I want to see Dan Stevens in everything. Yeah, but who would be his, his, the off to his face? I don't know. Now mm -hmm. all I can think about is Samara Weaving and Vanessa Kirby. <laughs> good. Oh, I have two other ones that I really like. I think they both came from uh, our genius colleague, Vinny Mancuso. Um, he tweeted this and he is correct. If you want to match the unhinged energy of the first film, your choices should be Robert Pattinson and Tom Hardy. The, the issue you run into there is they do not have anything resembling similar frames, no. <laughs> but they do give those kinds of performances and I would love to see it. His other more jokey, but I think also excellent was, you know, just make it Godzilla and Kong again. <laughs> I'm, I like that. That sounds like such a such a Vinny comment too. I'm all for it. Yeah. What about Robert Pattinson and Dan Stevens? I like it. They have yeah. much similar. That could work. Right? Yeah. Okay. And it'd be very handsome. That that is most certainly true. With the bluest of blue eyes, those. <laughs> I remember right. watching the guest and being like, are you kidding me with those eyes? What the fuck? <laughs> I haven't rewatched it in forever, but it was one of those movies that was just for whatever reason cool to watch when we were kids. Face off? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, it was just so cool to watch. So I used to watch it a lot back then. I also remember thinking it was like so provocative when I was young. I think because of Nicolas Cage's performance as Caster Troy, he's like fully off the wall talking about peaches or something. I don't know. Well, that's fair. And it, I feel like for me, it's also, it's also a kid thing. You know, when I was watching a, like, you know what I mean by adult movie, when I was watching a movie that wasn't for children, there was always something that felt a little more dangerous about it, even though now I've come to rewatch a lot of those movies as an adult and they're totally fine. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what I cared about back then either. It's not like I was ever stopped from watching anything. Oh, I was. And I was super, super Baptist Christian raised. So everything remotely sexual or provocative, I was like, oh, my God, can they do that? It's like the exact opposite in this household. <laughs> I think the only thing that I shut off when I was a kid was fear. Oh, <laughs> you know why? Why? Oh, the animal? Yeah. yeah. Literally the only thing that I ever chose to turn off myself because the dog head in the doggy door. That makes sense. Do we want to touch on any of these others or do we want to go into WandaVision? Um, I will just throw a quick yay to the adult animated series about Velma. I'm super into that. I love Velma. I love Scooby-Doo. I hope they get interesting since it's an adult oriented uh animated series and Velma has such a history of being embraced by queer communities and there's been so much discussion about that character. I'm 
I'm hopeful. I I'm big into that too. And you know, not, neither of us are super in the know with video games, but we know Borderlands had big casting news, which I mean, great. You can't really argue with an ensemble like that. And then there's also, uh, there's also uh, Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal being cast in The Last of Us. Again, I- I've never played the game. I- I'm aware of the story just because of covering the the development of this project. But based on my limited attachment to it, this seems like an excellent casting choice. And I'm very happy for them both. But I don't I- know. Great. And I, okay, so I've played like an hour of this game. I'm not a gamer. I went into it and I was like, this is complicated, in depth, and dour. I'm never going to accomplish this. But um, I really like her for Ellie in particular. There are so many phenomenal actors who would have been perfect for Joel. But I think a lot of the fan casting for Ellie was way too old. So I'm so happy to see that they found someone who fits the actual age bracket there. To be fair to all those people picking folks who are probably too old for the role, I think that was also a direct effect of how long this thing was in development for. Oh, for sure. And But even when people first wanted Ellen Page, she was to Oh, yeah. Elliot Page had it. Um, he was too old for that part. And yeah. like now that that was still being discussed, uh, I'm like, that's not, that's never going to work. That is a, a person in their mid thirties guys. Um, but I, I do, I, I'm thrilled. And I'm also thrilled for that actress because what a breakout role that too often those kinds of performers then just get forgotten after their mm-hmm. show goes off the air. Yeah. Um, this, this could be quite big for her and both of them if the show takes off. I'm, just, I'm imagining just, it. I'm sure it'll be excellent. But like, man, it is dour and a freaking bummer. And I I don't have the appetite for it right now. But again, I only played, maybe if I had played the whole game through, I don't know. I'd sound like a bummer, man. I know, I know. I mean, I was just like, I'm thinking about that too right now because I had just watched Barb and Star. And that's such like a goofy, silly thing that again is not usually what I gravitate towards. But right now, I needed it. It's it's hard to explain, but I needed it. And, you know, I, I haven't necessarily been uh, been loving some of the darker material that I've been watching. Hopefully the world will genuinely be in a better place by the time they actually yeah, really. It better be. <laughs> better be. All right. Do we want to do WandaVision now? Let's do it. All right. This is it. We are talking WandaVision, episode six. If you have not yet watched episode six of the show, push pause, go watch it, come back, push play, and then you can continue on. But we leave you now if you are not caught up because spoilers are happening. A lot. I love Halloween. I love Halloween. I love classic sitcom Halloween. I just, I seriously would not have argued if the entire series took place on Halloween. There is just something about the set and production design and the costume design and just the like it was almost like I could feel like the Halloweenness in the air while I was watching it. And I don't know. I- I'm stressing that so much because that was my first thing that I somewhat verbally said aloud when I pressed play and it started <laughs> was I like I love Halloween. <laughs> Freaking love Halloween. Absolutely. Um I if they don't make a 
butt ton of merch from the Halloween episode. Mm -hmm. They are fools and they will because they're not fools. If there's one thing Marvel's good at, it's making a butt ton of money. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I'm like obsessed with a show like this that every episode is a Halloween episode. That would be so cool. I want it. I mean, why, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will say something perhaps a little provocative. I am becoming unconvinced that this format was the best choice for this story. As the episodes move forward, maybe the format is the wrong. I'm not sure there should have been nine, I guess is what I'm saying. They're so short. And I find that the way the action is cut off week to week, honestly, starting to get a little distracting to me. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't share the same feeling, but I also do know that I have a feeling every single week that I want more immediately. Sure. I, I feel I feel like part of the reason why the length of the episodes isn't bothering me is because every single one comes with such substantial clues that I'm left with so much to think about. And everyone out there, because I've repeated this time and time again, you know, I prefer binge watching to having to wait a whole week for another episode, but I will say I think I'm enjoying the week-to-week viewing experience with WandaVision more than I have with any other recent show that I've done it for. I'm also enjoying uh, the process of like spending this time with the WandaVision community and talking about the episodes and all of that. Um, I do think they're a bit short, and I do find that the punctuation lately has felt a little off to me. Like uh, the first three were impeccable, I thought, in terms of the use of the format and the right length of episode. Lately, it does, I don't know, it just feels a little almost manipulative or manipulated to stretch it out. Well, I wonder then if it has something to do with it not balancing the the real world and the Wanda world for you, because four would be when that part crept in. Yes, I think you're exactly right. And I think that once you do introduce that element, you might need slightly more time in the episode to make both have space. I don't know. And maybe I'll feel completely different when it's over and I, I see the full picture come together. But the last two weeks I have been like, not just like, oh my God, it's almost over because I'm enjoying it. Like, oh my God, it's almost over now. Like this yeah. in the story is where you're going to put your punctuation mark. Yeah. I mean, the the shorter episodes are naturally baked into the uh, the sitcom format. So that, that part of it does make sense to me. That's very true and a very good point. I don't, it is the balance. You're right. The balance is off for me. Um, that said, I'm still totally obsessed with it and enjoying it. Also, when you think about when you think about the balance, it's you know it's not even just show structure as far as bouncing back and forth, but you're also then spreading your time between two groups of people. Whereas before we were focused primarily on one, so their individual story could feel fuller. Whereas we're getting half stories now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's that's my provocative opinion of the day. Uh, Fair one. Yeah, but I I still do super love it. And I really enjoyed this episode, even if I wish it was longer. I have to respect that as an ending, though, because it is such a wow moment. Um, 
even though I don't love the way it flows as a whole, definitely that final sequence is like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. It's it's a lot. It's it was very I found it very stressful. It's super stressful. Uh I have I have so we have three left, right? Yes, because there's nine. Yes. I can count. I cannot. That's why I asked. Uh, my other concern about the super short episodes is it doesn't feel ready to be done that quickly, but maybe it'll be fine. So that I'm on the complete opposite side of that. I do think it it feels it feels close to coming to a close because how long can you draw it out where they don't make any progress to I'm I'm about to phrase it stopping Wanda, but I don't think that's ultimately going to be what has to happen, but they they need to they need to get closer to the end of the mission so to speak at some point. Yeah, I guess for me it's probably the continual not knowing at all what's happening mm-hmm. makes me feel that how can it almost be over? Well, I I guess the the theory last week that we spoke about with Catherine Hahn is out the window. I don't I'm not sure about that. That feels like a misdirect to me. Um and if we'll see. TBD. I'm not convinced. I'm on the opposite side of that divide. I think I have filed her into not a suspect. I almost feel that if she is just a random person, that everything they will have done in this series was so freaking manipulative of the audience that I will be upset. But we will see. What's what's the uh, the name of the neighbor who plays? Who who's dressed up as Frankenstein in is this episode? Herb, herb, is that him? right? May maybe he's our one to look at because in that scene, doesn't he? He says the thing where it's like, "Is this not how you wanted it?" Yeah, I know. I'm very curious about his ability to seem to know what's going on, but also like, okay explain I don't I'm sure there is an explanation but how was she like the one telling Herb not to talk if she has no clue what's happening when you say she uh sorry Agnes when they're outside and he cut through the hedges and he's about to say something to Vision and she's like gives him the look (laughs) I I have no answers yeah I'm sure it will make sense, but I just, I guess I, my, my through line here is I don't buy that she's just some innocent. Okay. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still off the, the Agnes is guilty of something train for the moment. I do. I really do enjoy the addition of Evan Peters. I think he was so just from the standpoint of it playing with the sitcom format so perfectly written into this show like of course Quicksilver would feel fill that role in a sitcom and Evan Peters is just always electric he can do anything and just mesmerize me he's an excellent actor Mm -hmm. I also love what he's doing here I love his take on like the hey uncle that comes into sitcoms when they're needed for a comedic punch-up I uh don't think that anything is right with that character. I no. don't trust that character at all. I don't even know if I trust that it actually is Quicksilver. 
I trust that it is Quicksilver. I I also, just to speak to his performance, I also love the idea that he's playing a Quicksilver who's aware that he's acting in a sitcom. <laughs> it's like, I kind of want to rewatch it with that in mind now, because I thought I thought that was a great touch that he was quite good at. But I don't know. I think I'm still harping on my uh, on my Loki theory from last week and just like a completely distorted timeline where maybe people were plucked out of different realities and, and mushed together for nefarious purposes. But thank you to folks in the comments section, because apparently the color scheme of the kids ties to them in, in the comics. So I did read up on that because of all of you. So thank you for pointing that out. Another performance note, those kids are quite good. They are. We already knew that about Julian Hilliard, but... You know what I found? Um, I found a little... He doesn't He doesn't even look the same. Like, it took me a, a long, long time to realize that was him. But what made me a little upset midway through the episode is when I'm sitting there and I'm like, these kids are real good. And then I'm thinking, well, their run in the MCU is going to be real short. <laughs> I mean, aren't they... Isn't it feels likely to me that they're gonna they'll age up again and that'll be it. I I'm curious. I think you're probably right, but we'll we'll see how that guys is it's impossible to know anything. As I said last week, I enjoy how they blow up every theory every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, I am I think at this point craving some answers to go with the questions. <laughs> I'm I'm craving answers too. Sorry, I was just flashing back to the ad. This week. Oh, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know what to make of it, but I loved it. And I swear, if I were a kid in the 90s and I saw a commercial like that for a drink, and it could have been exactly the same, just as dark, I probably would have needed the drink. I I can't disagree. I do think that's one of the show's stronger horror moments so far. This whole episode was. Um, the the creepy people standing still. I think more than anything on the computer screen where you could see how many of them were standing yeah. still really wigged me. Mm-hmm. Wait, not a drink. Was it yogurt? He was trying to peel yeah, the top of it? Yeah. <laughs> I, enjoy, I enjoyed that quite a bit, if you couldn't yeah. tell. I am also excited to see what comes next week with Darcy being inside Pex. I know. She's I got really disappointed. She's so good. Oh, I love her so much. I got really disappointed because I was like, oh, I'm excited to see how she transforms through the hex. And then I was like, oh, wait, we're back in pretty much the present day. We don't get to see her looking all fancy and like retro wear. Well, not retro, but yeah. it'll it'll tap into something else that has that, I, I guess not, not necessarily period because we are modern, but she's still not going to look like herself. Right. Totally. Though there will be a transformation, but it just my brain shorted out and I was like, oh my God, she's going to look so good in the vintage clothes. Wait, there are no vintage clothes. Like, yeah. Man, I love the show. I do. Too. I don't want it to end ever. I uh, continue to be completely blown away by Paul Bettany and of course Elizabeth Olsen. That kind of goes without saying. I feel mm-hmm. like everybody's obsessed with her right now. Paul Bettany, man. What a, what a actor. Yeah. They, you know, Marvel knows how to cast them. Yeah. I mean, like, think about it, though. Can you think of a single weak link? No. I cannot. I could think of of weak characters, I guess. But not, not an actor who didn't live up to their potential. Mm Mm-mm. It's. 
I mean, yeah, exactly. It's like within the MCU, especially if you look at the villains, you see some wasted opportunity, but it's never at the actor's feet. That, and that's pretty much the only thing. It's usually the villains. There's just wasted opportunity. But most of the most of the heroes are uh, fairly full. I I've I've said it in every single episode we talked about it, and I'll say it again till the bitter end. This better not be the last time we see Paul Bettany's vision. I will be devastated. Devastated. I will second that. Unless we have to say goodbye to him and it's with purpose, then I might get over it. I mean, I'm sure it will be with purpose, but I will not get over it. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. All right. We're out of here. That is your latest episode of The Witching Hour. Haley, where can everyone find you on the socials and anything you're really excited about that you you published? Um, not from this week, but you can find me on twitter at Haley Fouch. you can find me on instagram at haystack mcgroovy and you can find us both on certified forgotten at real love fest which i believe our episode is going live today mm-hmm. um, the festival will be running through sunday i've already said that you should definitely watch dinner america and then go back and watch our conversation with the filmmakers and cast of dinner america you should also watch golden arm which is a genuine treat um, I also did the Q and a for Sophie Jones, which is a movie I found very personally touching. Um, all of those things I'm very proud of. I'm very proud of the festival. Go check it out. Do uh, all of yeah. Um, I don't have half as much exciting stuff to say, but you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at P and let's plug ladies night. Brand new one is up and running. It is with Dominique Fishback, who is a major standout in Judas and the Black Messiah. And fingers crossed, we'll go on to have some uh, award season buzz. So there it is, guys. We're out of here. You have officially survived the witching hour.